Good afternoon and welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm the founder and uh, publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. And thank you for joining us this fine Thursday. Um, we have a great show today. We'll be talking, getting into uh, the discussions on asthma and allergies. And uh, from two prominent uh, gentlemen uh, who represent factors of the industry, we'll get into briefly. Uh, first, we'd like to take a quick uh, pause to uh, acknowledge one of our sponsors for this broadcast, Perlab. Indoor air quality is now on the minds of everybody. How can we improve the air quality in general? So Erlab is a company that provides protection through filtration for your breathing zone in the laboratory and outside the laboratory. And why we're here in the commercial space today is to provide protection for the air that we breathe. It's very important in commercial spaces, obviously because there's a lot of people that come in and out of restaurants, schools, long-term care facilities, whatever it may be, offices. So we want to provide the healthiest air possible so we can get back to some sort of normal state. And we're also brought to you by Healthy Buildings America 2021. Uh, it's the ISIAC event taking place this November 9th through 11th in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, also being uh, hosted by the host organization, Siri, the Cleaning Industry uh, uh, Research Institute. Uh, and the topic for this one is bridging the gap between research and practice. So this will be a really great event. Learn more at hb2021-america.org. So... Uh, without further ado, I'd like to bring in our, our guests. Um, we're really happy to have uh, two very influential people in this uh, this industry. Uh, Kenneth Mendez became the president and CEO of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, AFA, in early 2018. He came to AFA from uh, AdvaMed, which is the world's largest medical technology association, where he served as executive vice president and chief revenue officer for 12 years. And also Dr. John McEwen coming to us from uh Ireland. He is a medical entrepreneur and currently the CEO of Allergy Standards Limited, ASL. That's an international standards and certification body, a company he founded while working as an emergency room doctor. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. It's great Good to be here. here. Thanks for having us, Bob. So, so I guess, you know, uh, before we get into our, our, our prescribed questions, um, this pandemic pandemic has affected people in a lot of ways. I mean, we've we've been spending more time, perhaps in our homes. Uh, you know, there's been obviously different social measures, and have have those uh, has there been an impact um, on what you would normally be dealing with from the asthma and allergy issues um, in the world as as the pandemic? Because this, I guess, the question is: Has the pandemic exacerbated this, or is uh, you know things still status quo? Uh, no, it's, I mean, for, for us, it, it's definitely been <clears throat> drinking from a fire hose. You know, we are the oldest and largest uh, nonprofit patient group that represents the 65 million people with asthma and allergies. But the key thing that's happened during COVID-19 has been just trusted information from us as an organization, because that's what we do. Anywhere from symptom charts to figure out, you know, what's the difference between allergies the flu, COVID-19, where we were one of the first organizations to be out there talking about that to medication shortages, because we heard about a lot of that, rescue medication for those with asthma and allergies, um, COVID-19 vaccines, allergic reactions to that, trying to set the record straight there, mask wearing, and uh, now it's back to school. You know, what do you do with the back to school season? So we have been incredibly busy doing what we do is our mission is trying to get the information out there and uh, educate our, our community. 
are you seeing, uh, you know, from the standard setting uh, question, uh, John, are you seeing uh, any uh, uh, interest in uh, new products or different products that, you know, that may have ar arose since, uh, you know, since the advent of this pandemic? Is, is that changing anything as far as what inquiries you're getting at your organization? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to answer your initial question, has has the pandemic impact on on the way people see the world? And I think absolutely. Uh, our message, uh, science and the evidence base has always been around improving indoor air quality and optimizing indoor air to have healthier living. And that in the past was a message that people didn't quite connect with. What we often said is, how do you make the invisible like air? How, how do you actually make that concept visible? And I think COVID-19 and the pandemic have accelerated people understanding that indoor air is actually really important. Um, and I think we're not, people aren't going to go back. We've now joined the dots on this issue. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of shifts that will persist for a long time. Uh, I often quote the point that when people sneeze, you say, God bless you. That That's from the bubonic plague back in Europe and London nearly 300 years ago. And that has persisted now throughout society. We, we still say bless you when people sneeze. So I think people being switched on to air being important uh, and air actually impacting on my health will has been accelerated. And I think it will persist for a long time after this pandemic because it makes sense. Uh, uh, that your air is the largest thing you actually consume on a daily basis. When you look at the amount of food you eat and the amount of liquid you consume, you actually inhale by volume. Air is the largest thing you consume. And it's the thing if you take away, you, you can't live without it the quickest. So um, we've seen really people getting switched on to the issue that the air is important to my general health and wellness. What gets interesting with that, with that point you just made there, John, is that um, people don't see air, though. You know, right. You know, if you saw what was in the air, you were able to visualize, visualize it like you would with a, let's say, a glass of uh, cloudy water. You know, mm -hmm. I think people would be a lot more concerned about what they're ingesting. So so I, I, to jump into our, our, our questions that we talked about earlier on in pre-show, uh, I'd like you both to tell us a little bit respectively of how uh, how Kenny, how you arrived at AFA and uh, John, how you arrived at creating ASL. And tell us what you, what you think have been your most significant contributions uh, so far. And I'll let uh, Kenny go first with this. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Well, as you mentioned in the intro, I've spent a lot of my career in the nonprofit world recently in healthcare. But um, I, I feel important uh, to work for mission-based organizations. And two of my three kids have had asthma and allergies, and I do as well. So that's how I ended up at asthma at AFA. And I'd say probably the thing that I'm most proud of in the short time that I've been at AFA was a kind of the work that we do that just improves and maintains the trust that people have in us as an organization. Uh, and then we actually were able to pass a couple of pieces of legislation uh, under two different administrations. And I'd say one is particularly relevant to this, this conversation. Uh, the school, um, the school-based um, asthma man and allergy management program act, which we got uh, passed into the last administration, that really looks at indoor air and tries to create incentives for states to create better indoor air in their schools. Excellent. So, John. Sure. Well, my kind of founder's story, as they put it, was when I was working in. I'm a trained emergency room doctor by by my profession. Um, 
Uh, when I was working in pediatrics in emergency rooms and asthma and allergy clinics, uh, often generally the, the parents, the mums of kids with asthma and allergies would be seeing the healthcare professionals, the doctors and nurses and other allied healthcare professionals. And the concept of avoiding your triggers, the things that actually set off your asthma and allergy symptoms comes up again and again. And we've, we've seen medicine has kind of shifted rather than just command and control by doctors. People are much more engaged in maintaining their wellness and the, the definitions of, of wellness isn't the absence of disease. Um, and we've seen that with wearables, the rise of meditation, mindfulness. People really want to, to do as much as they can to maintain their wellness. And the issue of trigger factors uh, it was almost like information overload. People would, would write down what the doctors and nurses were saying, but then what we describe as actionable insights. Now I get the concept that there are these triggers in my environment, and they may show up in the textiles I buy, the materials I bring into my home, how I ventilate my home, how I clean my home. Uh, but people found it difficult to actually navigate their way when, when designing and building houses, when purchasing products. So we designed that certification based on science and based on evidence to cut through the noise in the marketplace and give people actionable insights. Um, and we're really proud of that. We're really proud that we've, we've handed a lot of power back to patients. We've given them information and working with, uh, with Kenny's group, who, as, as you mentioned, they're a trusted advisor, the patient advocacy. Um, we're very proud of the fact that I may not be an ER doc on, on, the, on, the, on the floor seeing one patient in and out in an emergency, but our organization is impacting thousands and hundreds of thousands of people by being a lighthouse in that fog around this issue of avoiding trigger factors. Which, that, that seems extremely important. Um, so, so, you know, the asthma and allergy friendly certification, let's, uh, let's, let's talk to that just a, a little bit. Um, you know, those standards, it, it looks, you know, it's a, it's a massive science and marketing undertaking, right? I mean, what does it mean for a product to be certified asthma and allergy friendly? And how does that program reach consumers? Sure. Well, first of all, it has to be scientifically credible. Um, the reason why we exist, you know, the founding story is, is cutting through bad science, poor science, things that may resonate with people like the word hypoallergenic. But if you actually look at the, the Federal Trade Commission and the, the other National Institute of Health, there's other organizations in America, there's very little science associated with that word. And um, you'll see the word HEPA used quite a lot. Just because something may have a HEPA filter, because the way the machine, the vacuum cleaner, the air cleaner is configured, doesn't mean you're actually getting HEPA grade air. The outcome of the benefit may not be associated with the labeling. So first and foremost, we had to have good science. We had to make sure credibly you could demonstrate the product attributes, its performance characteristics, its suitability criteria, and could be clearly demonstrated by scientific protocols in laboratories, in chamber studies, et cetera. So we had to start with the science and get meaningful thresholds based on uh, position papers from the medical community, the National Heart, Blog, Heart Lung and Blood Institute, um, and then what the various uh, trade organizations were saying, and boil that all down to a meaningful, credible standard. And that was the science part of it. And then really the key to the success of the program is partnering with, with Kenny's organization and having uh, that credible science peer reviewed by, by Kenny's organization and embraced in an educational content platform. Yeah, we, we have a medical, just to build on what John's saying, we have a, 
an F, a board of directors, but we also have a medical scientific council uh, who are uh, prominent doctors in the allergy and asthma space. Uh, also, there are some general practitioners as well. But um, once John's organization develops the scientific standard, then they run it by our medical scientific council, our MSC, and there's a back and forth. And once we look at that standard and get it approved, then we send it back to John and John's organization does all the heavy lifting that you mentioned in terms of the testing and the marketing and kind of working with some of the companies who are out there doing this. So I mean, my question would be, uh, you know, the follow up to both of you on this is, uh, as far as consumers, how how do a lot you get a lot of consumer feedback on these products that are uh, that have been certified? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things uh, on the consumer side, since we are, you know, we appeal directly to the patient community. I think uh, this spring, for example, and with COVID-19, there has been such focus on indoor air and clean air and COVID and the allergy season. Um, so we have we've gotten so many inquiries about, you know, how do I keep my air clean indoors? You know, what's the right kind of um, vacuum cleaner to you, uh, uh, you know, HEPA filter to use? And then now with back to school and all the money that the Biden administration has poured in to investing into clean schools, that's a real issue, too, that we want to try and make sure that we clarify what's what's a, a good standard to have out there. Because there are a lot of organizations who are commercially trying to market into schools, given this additional money being sent in by the government. And we want to make sure that, you know, there's clear guidance on, on what really is good for, for kids in schools. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. We've featured that on the show uh, several times over the past uh, uh, few months. Uh, just some, some of the questions. I mean, we did a show that we, you know, talking about snake oil, and there does seem to be a, at least a portion of that being marketed to uh, unknowing or just uh, lesser educated, right, uh, facilities managers at schools. I mean, there's there's technologies that are pretty much unproven that, you know, people are just trying to uh, push out into the marketplace. So that that's a little bit scary. Um, and, and to, to both of your points on HEPAs, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a significant issue. It's not just the filter, it's the efficiency of the device, right? I mean, Total I mean, device efficiency. John, John can elaborate on this, but for, for example, with air cleaners, the one thing you want to be careful of, especially if you have asthma is you, you don't want the thing to be throwing off ozone, which is a real trigger for asthma. And, uh, you know, the ones that go through our program, John could talk about the standards we make sure that that doesn't happen. But but John, you should really talk about, I mean, you could go on for hours, I'm sure, about this. <laughs> I could, I don't wanna bore uh, Bob's listeners, but um, yeah, I mean, I think just to go to your earlier point, Bob, the, this, the concept that it's a little bit like the Wild West out there, that the people realize there's opportunity in here. And it is the role of trusted people like the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America and independent certification bodies like ourselves to play a role in that conversation. Because it's, it's been shown certainly in the sustainability movement, the green movement, the energy efficiency movement, the more voluntary codes and directives join that conversation it actually impacts on statutory regulations on industry codes and various society codes and and voluntary codes of practice and there's actually a virtuous circle and uh, the more people join that conversation um, and we we're, we're, we're very pleased to be part of that kenny particularly in, in in the school area how do we clean our schools 
what's trustworthy and what's somebody just kind of speculating on an opportunity. Um, so there's there's a growing evidence to show that voluntary labeling, uh, patient advocacy, patient organizations have a big influence on setting standards and actually making uh, the whole industry raise their game. I, I, I guess the follow up to that too is has, you know, with the pandemic, has there been an increase in consumers reaching out to AFA looking for information and, and to, I guess, to companies looking to get their products certified through ASL? Is it, well, has, uh, yes, absolutely. The outreach has, has been there. Uh, you know, and I would say when we started the pandemic, if you Googled asthma and COVID-19, we were one of the top five organic uh, hits that came up when you would do a Google search. So people are looking for this. They want information. They're asking us all the time about this. So it's a constant um, thing that we have to be doing and communicating to the public. John, are you seeing, uh, again, more of an uptick on firms uh, looking to uh, gain your certification? Yeah, again, absolutely. The lens has been put on indirect quality. People are uh, telling stories about it and engaging. That's that's how people engage. It's through empathic listening, and it really now resonates with people, and they get it. And a lot of a lot of the measures for uh, um, COVID nineteen, some of them actually, although obviously asthma and allergies, it's not an infectious agent, but the same concepts of maintaining good air are related so source control so in COVID that's obviously washing hands etc and if you can't con control a source and in allergens you put barriers you limit exposure same as a face covering or putting an allergy uh, barrier on, on your bedding and then obviously cleaning so removing allergens you, you mentioned there about HEPA filters you really have to capture and remove trigger factors from the indoor environment not just redistribute them by by blowing air etc and then and then ventilation is part of all those it's part of source control it's part of cleaning and actually just removing through good ventilation so pe people have switched on to that and what's something that's actually very good at uh, controlling allergens it's much obviously larger particle size to a virus but those concepts and mindsets um apply across the board um, and another another big thing you mentioned about retailers and consumers there's a real role for for retailers to play in this conversation and really good brands because they realize that if they've got technically superior products uh, they need to tell that story in a meaningful engaging way and the concept of of improving your indoor environment and moving conversations away from uh, air quality or filtration which are quite technical specifications uh, to move it you know, the, the classic moving the conversation to benefits and outcomes and what more important benefit and outcome statement is there about healthy home for you and your family and healthy indoor air so that whole conversation is really go, going on now um, and it needs to be around good science it needs to be with with credible people um, and the conscientious retailers know that they need to be seen well what are we doing to give back to our com community how can we be involved in this conversation if we're going to stay relevant engage with our communities which is very very important for their esg the environmental social governance ratings so there's lots of reasons why the conversation is coalescing around this issue at the moment it, it totally makes sense and i think what's what's really important and you alluded to that is the high technical uh, aspect of any of the parameters of these devices or technologies or whatever you're dealing with, the general consumer, that that kind of maybe falls on deaf ears or is confusing. So it's really important to speak benefit, right? That's 
Yeah. yeah. We, we definitely, so one of the things that we do as a nonprofit is we have an online support community. So when you are diagnosed within, with asthma or allergies or food allergy, you know, you, you leave the doctor's office with, you need to figure out what to do next. So we've got a free online support community. You could log on to AFA.org. Uh, and within that, we uh, disseminated information on, and, and you could get support from other community members. So this was, we started this long before Facebook, and this is password protected and moderated by staff. And there's an Ask the Allergist piece. But also on our website at AFA.org, we've got an he interactive healthy home checklist. So you could mouse over each of the areas of the home. We've got little graphics there and talk about um, and give suggestions on areas that you can make improvements related to asthma and allergies inside your home. Um, and that's and how long have you had that that uh, availability on your site? That's that's uh, we put it newer. up there um, this year. The interact. I mean, we've always had a link to the certification program. This graphic is relatively new in the last year. Uh, the mouse over features, but um, it, uh, it it's it's quite well used by our community, and you could click on the links there, and then it sends you to what you should be doing, and then also uh, to the certified asthma and allergy friendly uh, website that has a listing of products. So, I mean, obviously, a, a lot of a lot of your outreach is educational based. Has to be right. You're you're, yeah. you're trying to inform people and give them credible information, um, and and it's tough probably to rise above the din of all the uh, commercial product literature that's not necessary. You know, certainly not peer reviewed, and, and certainly more marketing in nature than maybe factual at times. Uh, and it just seems like during this pandemic, we've seen just a lot of claims uh, by a variety of manufacturers and pr uh, providers. Uh, you know air cleaners, especially. I mean, the, the air cleaning thing is just, uh, to me, has been very alarming in the industry. Um, and it's, it's, do you believe consumers are trying to become educated uh, and informed purchasers, or are they just willing to accept what they're told from these companies that sell this stuff? They're, they're trying, our community, the ones who are involved in AFA are, are educated and they're trying to get uh, better information. So we survey our membership on a regular basis. And 74% of their uh, of our the people that we surveyed who are in our community say they get information about COVID-19, the flu, and other things uh, from us. That's just behind the news, their doctors, um, the the government, like CDC and other things. So we definitely have a high number of people who come to us because of the information that we we give out there, and they use that information. As, as far as your certification goes, John, uh, with the ASL certifications, obviously there's, uh, you know, you uh, have an association, or I should say, I, I, let me use the term, ask you what the proper term is. Your two organizations work to, work together for mm -hmm. uh, certification. Um, do you also work with other entities? Uh, obviously, there's not an entity just like AFA, but I mean, are there other places where you, you know, you actually uh, align and affiliate with your certifications? Sure. Um, I mean, if you if you want to think about it, that the AFA relationship is very much focused on B two C uh, consumers, patients, uh, uh, the mums, that type of, of people, the busy mum who's who's trying to, as Kenny was saying, they they have a diagnosis, they then need to problem solve, and they get this great allergy action plan from from Kenny's organisation. It's very much patient focused. Um, 
we're probably more on the B2B side of the house. So we also have a, an educational program. If you go to allergystandards.academy, um, we have some training programs there for building related professionals, for architects um, and other people associated with facilities management and so forth. And it's very much training business professionals. Um, we, we work with EBA, the Energy Efficiency Building Alliance. We have a program with them. We're developing a program with the International Supplies and Sanitary Association, the International Cleaning Association, and we've worked with the American Cleaning Association as well. So we will work with a lot of B2B organizations on the trade side, trying to empower retailers. We do retailer training. Um, we may work with the marketing people of R&D companies. Obviously, we work with our clients within the program like 3M, 3M Filtry, with Dyson, with LG, trying to, again, as you said earlier, bridging that gap between superior science and then really what is the meaningful benefit um, for a customer to invest in these products that have got proven superior technical advantages. Um, and how do you have empathic conversations with people to really meet them where they are? Um, how do we kind of move that debate about being planet friendly and sustainable to now buildings being people friendly and products and building materials and what we bring into a home being, being people friendly, not just planet friendly? And how does that Venn diagram intersect? So in our academy and in our institute, we do a lot of teaching around that. Uh, but probably more on the B2B side of the house and, and trade trade organizations like, as I said, like Eber, I'll be giving a keynote in San Diego, the US Green Building Council, for example. Um, so those type of organizations is who Allergy Standards works with. I mean, you mentioned bridging the gap and that's uh, that's challenging probably both for the B2B and the B2C, is, is it not? I mean, there's gaps, there's there are different gaps, but there are, there's still, there's still that chasm, is there not? Absolutely. And it actually even goes up and down the value chain. Because if you if you look at, say, um, a, a pillow, a textile product, now we look at pillows in our, in our standard with regards to the fabric in the pillow that sometimes they can uh, include within textile spinning and finishing, uh, you can get chemicals like azo dyes, you can have residual VOCs in it, uh, you can have allergenic dye stuffs, residual pesticides. So when we certify pillow, we're actually working throughout the supply chain to the fabric suppliers and even the people who supply the chemicals that go into the fabric that ultimately gets cut and sewed and fabricated and fills blown in and it may be one of the distribution centers and then it, it gets shipped to uh, retailers and then it's stored and then it's actually put on the shelf. So, um, and then ultimately the consumer buys the product. So it is without a doubt, we our science needs to work throughout the value, the value chain of those products, as well as then trying with Kenny and his team to make sure we've got a meaningful message to the consumer that relates to them as regards to their their, their interests. So you mentioned uh, presenting at the uh, USGBC show, uh, the upcoming show. So so do uh, do your organizations have relationships with organizations like the USGBC or the National Association of Home Builders? And, and there's US centric, obviously, uh, uh, with the home builders. But uh, are, is that something? Is there an outreach actively with both your certifying body and, and Kenny with your uh, foundation? Well, we do a little bit, yes. I mean, and sometimes we we call groups when industry groups when they're not providing the right kind of information out there. So, for example, there was just some new standards that came out from from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute on asthma care, and there was one group within the uh, 
one industry group that didn't quite interpret those the right way. So we kind of reached out to them and we said, uh, that's not what that that guidance said. So you got to be careful about that. And they responded back and they said they take the information down off of their website. So we kind of are, are a little bit of watchdogs out there when we see this kind of thing, when it comes over the transom. So um, we definitely work with a lot of other organizations. We've reached out, for example, our angle on outreach is kind of with the American, uh, the school superintendents association, for example, because getting back to indoor air, back to school, indoor air quality, we've reached out to them to make sure that there's masking, that they're focused on indoor air and indoor air in the right way. So trying to get that message and talk to them so they could get out to the various schools and get that information out there. Now, that's got to be challenging right now in the United States because there seems to be, you know, a pretty big political divide on that topic. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it seems like uh, politics maybe are getting in the way of good science. Um, but, you know, obviously state by state, there's totally, totally different ways that this is being approached. So, so you as an organization that it, in the United States is, you know, really talking to people in 50 different states, um, you have a wide vari uh, variety of uh approaches that the state level are taking yeah no it's really challenging that's why i said for example when you asked what are we most proud of is or one of the things was the uh piece of legislation that we got passed in the last administration signed by that president who basically tries to improve uh allergy and asthma care in schools and that focuses on indoor air so there, that's part of it and then this this new administration there's an influx of funds to help uh, improve school infrastructure. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers, for example, gave schools, I think, a D plus in terms of the infrastructure. Wow. Uh, so we really need to make improvements there when 20% of the U.S. population is in school on any given day. And then, you know, people don't realize that, you know, you were talking about nursing homes during the COVID-19 panic, but um, schools are a lot more dense in terms of occupancy than nursing homes. And now uh, we're on the verge of going back to school. So something that we really have to be careful and keep, keep an eye out on. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot more opportunity for transmission and communication in a school even than a skilled nursing facility, right? Because a lot of those Absolutely. patients are not as ambulatory as uh, students at a school. They're interacting constantly. Yes. So, so that's a challenge. Um, <sighs> Has you know, and we, I already mentioned this, but I, I guess the question is: Has this pandemic, you know, how, what other ways possibly has it changed the way AFA and ASL um, does business and provide information? Has that created, has that caused, you know, either of your organizations to have to modify as a result of what you're dealing with now in the last eighteen months? John, I'll let you go first. Yeah, um, I think I think to use that, that cliche, it's accelerated a lot of trends that that were there. Um, I, I you raised a little bit earlier just about the, will people settle for uh, scams and quick fixes and things like that? I think people there has been a lot of debate and there's been a lot of divide, a lot of opinions over that. But one of the good things that's come out of it is that people now are engaging and they're researching products. Um, and in, in the old days, people might just 
there was a kind of a straight kind of a funnel when you bought products. Now, certainly the re research from, from McKinsey is this concept of the loyalty loop that people will, before they uh, even say choose a professional service, like maybe some of your audience, like architects, etc., they will look at peer groups. You know, we all look at uh, those hotel review sites, etc., restaurant reviews. So people are now doing that for, for products and they're doing it for their health and they're doing their professional service providers, even their, you know, their, their doctors. And I think that is a positive because the more you you know, you know, as you know, when you when you know more, you, you do better. Um, so I think that's something that people research. I think people are on forums and they're discussing. And I think if a product makes a promise and then it doesn't keep that product when you take it home, people will be on review sites and that loyalty loop breaks down. But I think if you actually keep your promise that you make because the product is superior. And again, I mentioned earlier that the, the retailers and the better brands, they, they want to have the conversation taking place around science because they know they've invested in the products. They know they make a better product and they don't want to race to the bottom on commodity and making it cheap. And that won't be the future. I think that's one of the good things that, that has come out of it, that people are researching products. Products must keep their promises. They must have a benefit, a benefit to society. They, they can't pollute the environment when they made. You know, it's, people are now very conscious of that ESG aspect I spoke earlier. So, and I think they're all very positive. I think, I think you know, even as, when, as a doctor, doctor, good doctors like to be challenged. They like their patients to be researched. You arrive at better treatment plans when people are researched. And uh, we don't want patients that just will take, will just take orders and command and control. That's gone out of medicine. And I think it's now gone out of how people manage uh, their purchases. So for me, I think that that kind of patient empowerment, the ability to research, the democratization of information um, are some of the positive things out of the pandemic. I mean, do you feel that consumers now are more savvy and uh, more savvy about their indoor environmental needs than previously? Oh, I, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, if the media is any indication, I've never given more interviews this spring about indoor air allergies and uh, asthma than I have previously. So, so I think that there's definitely heightened awareness about that because we've had to spend so much time indoors because of COVID-19. And, and just to kind of build on what John's saying in, in answer to your question, I think COVID-19 has done two things for us as an organization. One is we were already communicating information as an online community. That was part of what we, we were doing. So we were just pumping more of that information out. But because we were remote and because we could do this online and people had to stay home and listen, we were able to bring in the NIH, doctors and others to uh, give webinars for our community like you're, you're doing here. So that's become a standard of information gathering for our community, as John says, to make them more informed choices. The other thing I think which um, has been a strategic emphasis for us is health equity. And uh, black Americans are still three times more likely to die from asthma, five times more likely to be treated in an emergency room. And black women are still the highest death rates of asthma and asthma kills 3000 people a year. So with COVID-19, there's this discussion around health equity. We all were already working on that and seeing that through through asthma. So that helped bring this top of mind to consumers. And I can tell you for your audience, and again, when John and I worked together, you could do as much medication as possible, but you could, the further upstream you get to maintain your indoor air in your home, there are things that you could do in order to reduce 
uh, your asthma triggers, that's really important. So to the extent that we could get out there and help those communities, get them more educated about this kind of thing is, is really important. Yeah, it seems critically important to try to address some of the causal agents, right? And, yes. and the environmental ones, the things that can be corrected. Uh, it, it seems ludicrous to you know to not you know to not at least attempt to mitigate those as well. Yeah. Um, are you seeing you know I guess the same question uh, you know are re do you think in general retailers and manufacturers are they more savvy uh, to the consumers' indoor environmental needs now? Um, John. Yeah, maybe if I take that, um, can I? Because it's a, just a really good point. I just would like to reemphasize what some Kenny said there about the disparities, um, but also how some of the early research work we've done with Kenny's organization and other organizations like Breathe DC. We did some work in Philadelphia and Baltimore, um, where with some of our clients we went into homes in underserved communities and we did very very minor remediation, pest removal. Bob, you, you were mentioning in, in, in the warm-up that you, mold is an area that you've worked a lot on. Very, very basic mold remediation and really a, um, a coach, like a health, asthma occup occupational health nurse doing a little coaching sheet and a check sheet, doing a walk around of homes, identifying allergen triggers, irritant triggers, sources of VOC, sources of mold, et cetera. And very, very minor, very minor educational interventions. And often in medicine, you see chronic, many chronic health conditions like people being overweight, like diabetes, and some episodes of asthma and allergy. They're really educational issues and societal issues of, the, of our environment, but they actually get managed in emergency rooms and by expensive medications and expensive interventions. And if we can shift that conversation um, and empower people really to say, well, look, as you said, look at the sources and, and educate people. Now, we didn't do large clinical trials and we didn't look at clinical outcomes, but we did anecdotal small studies with with their, with the interventional groups. And we, we had some very, very encouraging um, results. And, and Kenny and his team with some of the associates, potentially with uh, the Johns Hopkins and maybe the American Thoracic Society were, were speaking to all these groups about doing something more formal uh, in that area. I know the Patient-Centered Outcome Research Institute, PCORI in Washington, D.C., has identified large funds to look at this issue of allergen avoidance for asthma and allergy management. So that whole environmental area, it watched this space, and a lot of it had to pause because COVID has become the priority. But that will all come back, and I think it's a really interesting space for, for your audience. We had a question from the audience that I'm actually going to pose up here. Um, so uh, are you, and I guess in general, both of you gentlemen, are you seeing more flexibility with asthma and allergy doctors to work with the business community to, community to get out good information and products? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I think that this new guidance that's come out is, is really important. So if, it, if you're an asthma or allergy doctor and you follow what the NHLVI came out with, um, you're, you're very much, if you're, you're a good asthma and allergy doctor, you're going to keep up to speed with that. Um, our challenge is make sure that um, either the communities can see these specialists who do know what the cutting edge research says about asthma and allergies, um, or even with general practitioners who aren't necessarily specialists. So in terms of the business aspect of things, I mean, to, to answer that question specifically, I think the doctors will always go by what the science is. 
And to the extent that, um, you know, a doctor will say, and, and it, it's just given with your asthma and a, with your asthma action plan, which is something that every specialist or a, any general practitioner should have, uh, it's all about indoor air and removing the uh, triggers within your home. So that's a really important message. And I think a consumer, an educated consumer equipped with that, going out there can use our website, use John's site uh, and and be better off for it. Yeah, I think specifically I'll pose this to John. What are, um, what are some of the triggers uh, of asthma and allergy in the home that people should be aware of? Sure, sure. Um, I'll just build on, on Kenny's point there because it is important that the, the, the guidelines speak about no single measure being being good enough. It, it really is a whole of home approach um, and a single intervention like bedding sheets or a, a certified vacuum cleaner or, or using paints that have low emission of VOCs. The single, single um, interventions on their own don't work. It's really very much a whole of house approach and an additive effect of those and embracing the concept and becoming educated the whole idea. I think that's that's the message. We, we don't want, we don't recommend products, we don't endorse products, um, and we don't ask any doctors to do that. What we have made available as resources, as Kenny's mentioned on the asthmaanalogyfriendly.com website and afford.org is if you are trying to achieve this goal of optimizing your indoor air, here are some products that have reached certification criteria that can contribute to that. And that's very much how we like to present it. Um, we have a certification criteria um, and products that achieve that criteria are awarded the certification. And those products will help as part of a, a whole of house approach. So it's not an endorsement, they're not recommendations, they're certainly not clinical claims. We stay 100% away from that. What we're saying is this product has been tested under scientific conditions to achieve these outcomes. It will, it will remove allergens. It will capture those allergens and not redistribute them. Um, so I think for the whole, the whole doctor conversation, it is very important that it is a medical condition. Your physician must say at the absolute heart of managing medical conditions and family doctors must do that, absolutely. Um, and then to go on to your fact, you know, what, what are the, the, the triggers? What can we do things about? Well, um, you know, the classic one is obviously we spend most of the time, we spend 90% of our time indoors, unbelievably. And as Kenny mentioned, even more so in, in the pandemic, but whether we're in schools or in transport to our places of work or in the places where we live, we're generally indoors. And of that time indoors in homes, it's going to be the bedroom and it's going to be probably the kitchen. Um, so in your bedroom, you're thinking of the classic triggers, the dust mite allergens, etc. Um, in urban areas in the US, often the indoor allergen can be cockroach allergen more so than, than dust mite allergen, and then potentially pests as well. So they're all your, your biological triggers. You can kind of break them down into kind of three buckets. One is your, your particulates, then you have your chemicals, and then you have your biologicals. So in your biological area, dust mites and, and bed and, and textiles is, is an issue. Then if you look at chemicals, you're talking about off-gassing of volatile organic compounds, of volatile, as I'm sure your audience know, or semi-volatile. So they emit or they outgas. They actually originally would be put into solid products in a solid phase, but they emit over time. And that's classically your building materials. It can be in, in floor coverings. It can be in, in paint and actual the, 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 the 
building material itself and things like insulation products as well. So we look at those type of products. And then particulates in the home, I like to describe them as your cozy culprits, the type of things that you'll see, obviously cooking uh, can be a source of, of um, particulates. People may use scented candles. We particularly don't like some scented candles because not only do they have particulates and potentially VOCs, often they're put in to mask odors of a real issue like some mold or something else and we would like people to tackle at source rather than to put in masking odors it's the same reason why you know, heavily fragranced cleaning products sometimes may not be a good idea because they can be harsh themselves but you're really not getting to the issue so yeah, the, the masking yeah home home uh, triggers What's fascinating too is, at least in the United States, and I can't I can't speak to marketing abroad, but um, in the U.S. to general consumers, this this concept of the the you know these fresh odors, you know these uh, esters that are added to you know the various products and stuff to you know give that clean citrus scent or whatever, and really I, I would say you know you probably agree right the uh, the actual scent that clean should have is no scent whatsoever right it should be the absence. We so that's you know it's funny because that's what we struggled with because John and I have talked about this well before my time, but we struggled with is can you create a, a standard uh, that involves some fragrance in it and that that one's that's really tough. It well, is. problem is, is consumers consumers want that because it's been driven into our minds for the past what fifty to sixty years, mm -hmm. you know that you know these all these products and all these fresh scents and. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a trigger for me. I go in and I have certain there's certain cleaning smells that it will just trigger a sneezing episode for me. And that'll be, you know, down the road, you know, lead to, to an asthma thing. So I, I've lived it. I get it. Yeah, it is. It is, it is an issue um, because we it, a lot of the empowerment we're trying to do is around adherence to to treatment plans, tr adherence. We used to call it compliance now, it's adherence uh, to the asthma action plan. Um, fragrance is, is difficult, as Kenny, it's, it's a debate amongst the committee, and again, we must follow the science on it. Um, it's like some floor covering as well. People like soft, soft floor coverings. Um, so how do we actually serve the community and say, can we give guidance on this area rather than a blanket ban, which may not actually serve people because they, they want you know, the houses when they're clean to smell of lavender or Irish breeze or, or whatever it may be. Um, and to think people aren't doing it uh, is probably incorrect. Um, it was a little similar to when the first generation of bedding allergen barrier products were quite sweaty and uncomfortable and weren't good at water vapor transmission or, or airflow or they were noisy. So people just didn't use them. Um, and now there's much better products in our certification program that actually pass criteria for comfort and wickability and things like that. Fragrance is another area that, that so there's ongoing um, research in as, as a soft floor coverings as well. Cle clearly there are ones that we don't want people to use, but also there are adherence issues. We say, well, if you are going to clean and you do want your, your home, as you said, not smell of nothing, smell of I've done a great day's cleaning, well, is there a way you can do that? And it's an interesting debate. We don't have the answers, but we're certainly working on it. You know, as far as as far as again triggers, you know, such as uh, fragrances um, or you know some of the chemical constituents that are tr potentially triggers for asthma and allergies. Is this something that, sh that everybody should be concerned with, or just just asthmatics and people with uh, you know diagnosed or somewhat severe allergies? Is, is this a problem for all of us? 
Um, well, I'll have, a, I'll have a, a quick go there, Kenny. And then, I mean, I, I think without a doubt, people with hypersensitive airways should be more switched on to the issue. It, it is more relevant, um, particularly then if it's, it's a known allergen and you're allergic to that allergen and it's a, it's a known trigger, you should avoid it. The concept of increasing VOCs, whether it's car fragrances, uh, or you know, there's certain ones that you need to, to plug in, so they, you know, they use electricity and they cause fragrance. Um, I think having lots and lots of fragrances, exposures, stacking and stacking on each other is, is relevant to everybody. Um, if if you if they're in the air and the in the detectable the fragrance there's actually an additional chemical in the air that may or may not need to be there. So I I would say all of us need to be uh, switched on to VOCs and, and esters and other things, particularly the ones that are known irritants to everybody. Even even a non-allergic person is irritated by formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, which we see in uh, MDF furniture, some of the paints, etc. So there's clearly VOCs that are not good for all the population. And then there's a subset of the population um, that should be interested. And then there's particularly the people that are allergic to it as well. So I would say it's something for all of us to be interested in. Let, let, me, let me take another angle on that, if I, I may, on, on, on what John was saying. Because, um, Bob, you mentioned early on you can't see the air. You know, it's like not you can't see cloudy water. Mm -hmm. But our community, um, we are the canaries in the coal mine. And I have seen it this spring as uh, we've had a more intense uh, allergy season, longer growing season. So that increases the uh, allergies that people have. And I've, I, you know, I've done so many interviews and talked to people who say, I've never had allergies before, and now I'm having them more than ever before. So the outdoor air and climate change and what's going on in our outdoor environment is having an impact on the health of everyone in the country. And that outdoor air also comes in the indoors, but it does have an impact on people. And we are seeing this and uh, we don't know what the causes are, but certainly the irritants in the air right now coming from um, wildfires, you've seen it, and the relationship to more severe cases of COVID-19. Um, and longer growing seasons because uh, of uh, climate change and pollen and allergies are all having an impact on our health. So, I mean, that would be my answer to your question, one angle on that. It's something that we really need to keep, again, keep an eye out for the climate change piece because that does have an impact. I mean, these immediate changes for indoor air are important, but the bigger picture things is what can I do Mm -hmm. is, is really kind of clean energy, all the things that um, contribute to lowering um, our CO2 in the atmosphere and um, uh, reducing climate change. And, and this is something that's, you know, in all, you know, with all indications is going to continue to ramp up. So this is this is not like we're at a static point here in time. Um, it seems like there's more of a Absolutely. prevalence of wildfires, more of a prevalence of catastrophic uh, weather events. Yeah. which you know we were experiencing those today <laughs> you know it's just yeah. uh and all all of this uh, you know obviously has a direct impact on the indoor environment as well and again i, I don't i'm not so sure that you can always separate uh, in fact i don't think it's even wise to mentally separate the indoor and outdoor environments completely anyway because we 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 live in the yeah. overall That's environment right it's our, our our indoor built environments are still part of the outdoor environment they're sitting there <laughs> So yeah, no, I, I think that's really important. And it, it's great that you're sending that message because people need to connect the dots. You, you can't separate the two. 
One thing you both mentioned earlier in uh, in the conversation here today is the uh, disparity with how underserved communities, uh, you know, their properties, their their living environments, how they, you know, were certainly uh, more uh, acutely affected by the pandemic, but in general, right? That's that, that, that there's a disparity there. And as far as the healthiness of the living spaces, the indoor home environments for everyone, right? Ba based on demographics and socioethnic groups, yeah, right? No, absolutely. And so for what John was saying earlier about the local communities, you know, we're in a coalitions, we work with folks where, you know, there'll be a home visit program where you'll have someone, uh, a social worker or someone else who will visit a home as part of an asthma-based program to talk to that person and talk to them about what the triggers are in their homes. Now, this, this program happens to be affiliated with uh, Children's National in DC, the one that we're, we're partnered with. And, um, you know, the demographics, the neighborhoods are uh, Section 8 housing, for example. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but Medicaid, for example, will pay for the home visit knowing that that will save costs and improve outcomes for the occupants down the road. So those are the kinds of things where uh, systemically in your housing, as you mentioned, those are things that we really need to fix. I mean, we could have better treatments, better, um, you know, better therapies, but unless you improve where people live, uh, both not only their homes, but their access to education and other things, food deserts, grocery stores. I mean, all those things have a major impact on health inequities. And, and I got to believe that this is exacerbated by by this past 18 months in this pandemic, because there's been more economic disparity, probably as a result sure. of, you know, one of the things that I took note of a lot of times in our previous shows throughout these past 18 months uh, on the COVID related topics, is that most of the guidance, at least that I see from CDC, you know, US based guidance, all talks about how you can isolate in your home and do all this stuff. And it's all based on the single family house with the white picket fence. Yeah, you know the, exactly, the mindset. Exactly. You know, it's like if you're living in a in a crowded multifamily complex, you don't have that opportunity to distance yourself from others. Exactly, and, and you have to take public transportation. Yeah, and and uh, no, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's and I don't. You know, again, there's there's a socioeconomic issue here that's much deeper than the health impacts, right? I mean, it's like you have to address that, right? That's Absolutely. the cause. That's the cause, yeah. Well, wow. there's also, if, if I can just maybe throw something a bit more additionally controversial into it, because for your, for, your, for your listeners, there's also a medical cultural thing on it that medics, if you think of these two doctors, and there is a Chinese kind of parable around this about three brothers who are doctors, but it's based on that, that if there was a doctor who worked in an emergency room, and a patient came in, status asthmaticus, very, very severe asthma attack, needed intubation to be treated and gone to ICU and the, the patient's life was saved. Um, there's that doctor. But then there's also the other doctor who may not even wear a white coat, who goes to her houses and avoids those triggers or maybe tries to uh, reverse some of that social injustice and the patient never needs to go to the emergency room ever uh, and avoids that because it was actually dealt with at source as good medical management, good coaching, good education, and good removal of trigger factors in the environment where possible. 
you know, which is the better doctor? Which doctor should be funded more? Where should the resources go into? The, the acute emergency room with all the with all that kind of the heroics, inverted commas, or quietly going to society and actually just getting on and making sure the patient doesn't arrive in the emergency room. So there is a kind of a cultural aspect about what's the right medicine to do, uh, where should we put the dollars and where should we put the funding? And I think that's something for your listeners just to ponder about where where is actually the best money spent in society in um, in intervention. Well, it seems like being proactive, you know, it should be the best approach. It seems that way. Um, I, you know, I, again, you know, in the United States, we're still a for-profit medical system for the most part. Um, that doesn't necessarily play into the overall narrative here. Um, you know, as if we want to get controversial, we'll take it all the way. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that's, I, I'm not yeah. sure there's an incentive, you know, there's, there hasn't been to date enough incentive, uh, incentive for, for the latter that you described, John. Sure. I mean, I think I think that I don't have the exact figures, but there was a recent paper published at the uh, U.S. Green Building la um, last year that about about eighty percent of your health outcomes are related to your environment, and that will talk about your social environment, but also your physical environment. Eighty percent of health um, outcomes are related to what you eat, or whether you smoke or not, etc. Is all your environment. But a tiny proportion, maybe about one or two percent of the U.S. health budget, actually goes into managing that. It all goes into the interventions as a consequence of not managing that. Um, so there's another controversial one for you. And if we can, through some of our research, show that the numbers stack up by actually doing the interventions about our environment, build better houses. You know, I don't envisage a world where, you know, a, an architect is wearing a white coat and part of the ER team. <laughs> But there is a light, there is a spectrum, and the people who design and build and ventilate our homes are somewhere on that health spectrum. They're not in the emergency room, but I think in the future they're part of that conversation as we go forward, as we design our communities and our buildings. Yeah, there clearly needs to be a paradigm shift. Um, what's interesting, you know, and just not to get too deep in the weeds here, because we're near the end. Um, we had we produced another show for ISIAC, the uh, International Society for Indoor Air Quality and Climate, and uh, our debut uh, of that show uh, several months back, we had uh, uh, two Scandinavian researchers um, who were, you know, were in specifically talking about indoor environments in schools, and I was under this false impression as an American here that Scandinavian schools, their public schools were so much better as far as the indoor environmental quality than ours are here in the United States. And I was, I got a rude awakening there. It's, they have most of the same issues. And I assume that's probably true in the UK and everywhere, right? This is, this is kind of a systemic problem with schools. I mean, and it, timely because we're now, at least in the United States, launching children back into school. Um, we do we do need to change some things um i, I wish we had another hour to be honest because this, this, this is this has been a great conversation so far um I, i'm going to give you each an opportunity for some uh, a closing thought you know it really just a point maybe that we didn't make or just so, some of a summation for you so I'll, I'll let you think for a second um yeah this is uh i i, I really applaud the work that both of your organizations are doing this is, this is really important, and I'm really happy that we've had this opportunity to connect and looking forward to continue to, to work with both of your organizations to help uh, disseminate your information, because I think it's super important and valuable. So uh, closing first, I'm going to let uh, Kenny go first. Ah, okay. No, <laughs> so. no, thank you for having me. And I think these are, as you're saying, really important issues. 
I would just say now, visit our website, aafa.org. You'll see the healthier home things there, but all the information that we get out to consumers. And we've got um, an, uh, a COVID and asthma toolkit for schools. So it's a back to school toolkit that has lots of information. Now it's directed to parents and the consumers. Um, so it's not B2B, but you could see the kinds of messaging that we're getting out there that's really important as we approach this back to school season, um, because it's gonna be crit pretty critical, I think, uh, given what I'm seeing right now and, and what we're hearing policy-wise in the United States. Okay, and uh, John. Well, great. Well, it's a great segue, Kenny. Thank you. And then, Bobby, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I'll take the B2B side of the house. And um, so, as my message will be built on what you said there about a paradigm shift and a cultural shift. Um, and we've developed the Allergy Standards Academy. Again, the website is allergystandards.academy. Um, and what we've tried to do is because people aren't going to trade shows and they're not putting budgets into booths, et cetera. We've developed an online educational program to empower building-related professionals, architects, facility management, to understand the whole concept of indoor air quality so they can have better conversations with their clients. If they're specking a building, the wider architectural team as a building project goes forward. Um, and we have some design thinking programs on there. We have a healthy home awareness program. And really, it's about capability for people, building capability organizations. We're seeing this kind of resignation epidemic, people leaving companies. So we know people want to invest in non-technical capability building, like innovation, like leadership. Um, and we have those programs, but specifically developed for healthy home awareness and, and building related professionals. So uh, please go to the Academy page, allergystandards.academy. Um, you can, there's some trials there, you can dip in, dip out, let us know what you need. And we're just trying to build that level of education for building related professionals. Excellent, excellent. I'd also like to uh, let our viewer audience know, um, we, uh, two months ago, Healthy Indoors uh, Media, we launched an online global community. And this is a new platform, it's really nothing like it that we've seen on the planet. Um, it's specifically indoor environmental centric. So it is a, it, it's free, You uh, it, some of it is just totally public open. A lot of it will require you to register, but still free and give you access to network with other professionals from various sectors around the globe, uh, as well as share information and even, uh, even at, attend events with the uh, ISIAC Healthy Buildings America event, the online portion of that will be live streamed there. That's a pay-per-view. That one's not free because it's a it's an international conference. But the, again, this this will be a great I think a great place for those of you out there if you're looking for more information or looking to uh, commensurate. Uh, that's not the right word. Uh, connect with others. I'll leave it at that. Um, so thank you so very much, both of you, for joining us. Um, uh, Kenny Mendez, again, the president and CEO of AFA, and Dr. John McEwen, uh, the ASL. Uh, founder and CEO, you know, uh, keep, keep doing the good work that you're doing. And uh, we greatly appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you directly here on the show today. Um, we'll be back again next week, next Thursday. Um, we're here on Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern time in the U.S. And uh, we'd like you to join us uh, as often as possible. But definitely visit global.healthyindoors.com where you can uh, see the replay of this particular broadcast if you'd like to watch it again, as well as uh, look at all of our past broadcasts and uh, take a look at that information there. So until next time, I'm Bob Krell. Please stay healthy.
Thank you.